Good morning, Michael Hadley. Hey, D Madden. I I I uh, I I get verklempt at the beginning of these because I, I feel like we need to have some some kind of hook, like like well like some kind of hook at the beginning of the end where we should where we say something, do the some, same catchy thing at the beginning and the end. Some signature branding thing. So yeah, we, we really work our brand. Is that what we're talking about? Yeah. <laughs> well, these are the things I obsess on. There, there's, there. I have a pet peeve about a lot of the the YouTube channels and 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 podcasts in that oh, there's this, there's this thing that they do, especially like a lot of a lot of the YouTube channel guys do, where where they start saying, "Hey guys, hi everybody," and it's like, dude, you're. I, I don't know why that. It just bothers me. You're talking to a camera. You're talking to a camera. Like sometimes I yell at the screen. I say, stop it. Just just get to the thing you want to talk about. Like, it, it, especially with like music tech stuff. Like there's just be like, hey, everybody, blah, 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 blah. And today I'm going to do it. Just, just get to it, man. Just get to it. Just stop. Stop it. Stop I think, it. I think that's our signature right there. It's just we'll do D's rant first thing. Yeah. <clears throat> it just, it bugs the hell out of me. That and um, like everybody, oh, everybody opens up a welcome, which I, I guess is normal. It's a pleasantry, but I don't know. I don't know, Michael. I I, I feel like uh, like there's like there's something else that that I, I feel like we need to to fight the power, you know. Fight fight the powers that be. Fight the well, status quo. I just want to own the power. Yeah, that's it. I'm just owning it. It's yours. Maybe. You want some? You want some power? Maybe. <laughs> that's man. That's how we have to open. Own I, the power. I know a guy. Own own the power, everybody. Own own the power. So uh, so today, Michael, I was thinking. Well, we were thinking. Um, that uh, in in the ongoing uh, arc of of our um, collective history, that uh, that maybe we could talk about a, a little side project that I worked on, which was the first proper thing we did together, called bunk. Okay, bunk. Well, you also mentioned you wanted to. Have this be this show, this particular episode, be a bit of a tribute. In a way, yeah, because well, I wanted to talk. Um, so th there's a couple of things about bunk. There's there's some things uh, about leading about uh, the events leading up to what bunk became that I'm not sure you even know. Uh, and I thought it would, I thought it would be a good thing to tell. And and um, <clears throat> I I really wanted to do to talk about bunk because. Uh, Bunk ended up being a significant turning point for me creatively and ended up being the thing that dictated in no small part uh, what I ended up doing for the next 10 years or so. Mm. Let's, let's start with what Bunk was and is or was, I guess. Sure. Um, so it was around... Back, back in back in the late 1880s, I, I think it was uh, it was 1990, and um, I've talked about this before. But uh, at at the time, I was playing in in a goth band called X Photo, and uh, and we were all uh, all of us in the band were living together in a house in Garden Grove that we used to call the Banger House because it was on a street called Banger. Right down the street from uh, Disneyland, and it be and it uh, kind of ended up becoming the hub for all of our friends, and um, and uh, we had a lot of parties there and stuff, and uh, and and we did a lot of what Larry used to call creep sessions, where we just invited a bunch of people over and and press record on the four track and make stuff. That was like a regular Sunday thing. Every Sunday we did it. Every Sunday, uh, a bunch of our friends would come over. Um, late morning, early afternoon, after everybody rolled out of bed from Saturday night, and uh, 
um, we'd set up, we, we always had, we, uh, we rehearsed in the living room. The, the living room was just our, our permanent setup and, uh, everything was permanently set up. The four track was already wired up and ready to go. And, uh, we just go into the room and, and usually somebody would, would already have a couple of ideas for things. And, uh, we noodle on them for a couple minutes and then, uh, Larry would press record and, and then we'd go, um, and, and we kept that going the entire time we were in the house that, that I would even, um, kind of get it going. And, um, in the times that, uh, Larry and Linda were, they would take a lot of trips and stuff. And when they were gone, I would, I would just kind of keep it going. Like Dave Ryan would call me and go, Hey, you, you want to do something? I'm like, sure. And, uh, him and I did stuff, uh, on, on creep Sundays that ended up being songs that made their way into the Expoto set. So we were doing that stuff. And, um, at some point, my friend, Jesse Rodriguez, um, came over, uh, Jesse was a very old friend. He, he was, he was a fixture in the, in the early, early Huntington beach punk rock scene. His brother, uh, was the guitar player of China white. Um, he was in a band. He, he fronted a band, um, called the clan, um, not meant to be like a, a white power thing at all. It was, you know, at the, at the time it was meant to be an, an ironic name. Um, he sang in that band for a while and, and they had, they had a, little, a bit of a, a Rodney on the rock hit for 15 minutes. Uh, they did a version of pushing too hard. Hmm. They did a version of pushing too hard that Rodney played all the time. Uh, Jesse wasn't in the band by the time they recorded that, but he was, he was the, one of the, he was the OG singer of that band. Then he went on to, he played, he went on to be in this band called Landscape of Sound, which at the time was in the, in the scene in Orange County, Huntington was, was really kind of one of the first, like one of the early proper post-punk bands. Like he, they were, they were doing, they had a very Roxy music kind of thing going on. Um, and it was really cool. Uh, when before Ex Voto, I was uh, playing in a band with Larry called Primal Dream. Larry, Linda, and I were in this band together called Primal Dream and, and, and Gregory, the original singer of, of Expoto. And we played shows with him a few times. Um, and I just, just knew, I just knew Jesse from, from all that, from just, from just the scene and stuff. And then um, sometime shortly, sometime in the mid eighties, we reconnected and we got to be really tight. And I spent a lot of time at, um, at Jesse's house. Now, now Jesse, Jesse's Jesse lived in Huntington beach, right? Uh, like spitting distance from uh, a pretty well-known club in Huntington called night moves. And um, his parents had moved to Berlin uh, sometime in the early eighties. And, and then as his, his brother, his brother was much older. His brother got married and moved out. So it was, uh, it was the, the, the quintessential lunatics that take, have taken over the asylum kind of house. Um, he was still in his early twenties and all of his friends were in his early, in their early twenties. And then he was basically just, he, this, this, he was just the housekeeper of this house. And then he sublet a bunch of rooms to his friends and, um, it pretty quickly became anarchy. It was just party central like it just became it, it it became this sort of legendary place in those circles it was known as the paisley because it was on a house it was on a it was on a street in a housing tract up the street from night moves called paisley lane um he he uh and and so that 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 just became everybody's uh every that became the place everybody congregated at like uh, as, as pre-funk before going out. And then really more often than not, um, it, it became the, the post going out hangout, um, for a lot of us, there was a, there was a club and that was, that happened on, there was a regular club that happened, um, in night moves in Huntington on Thursday nights in the mid-80s called, called the bad trip. Um, and, uh, the guy that ran it, was uh was a really famous pretty famous dj he was like one of the first djs in town that would mix like glam rock and acdc and and with with punk rock stuff 
and he just played like a little bit of everything. It was pretty great. Um, it became a really popular night. It was always packed. Um, so in, in those days, I, I would go to the bad trip. And then at some point, uh, everybody would say, hey, let's let's around, I don't know, one or two when they started kick, kicking people out, everybody would just say, well, we're going to the Paisley. So we go hang out at the Paisley. Now, the, the Paisley was pretty crazy. It the, the way things would kind of go in those days. Everybody would congregate at the Paisley after bad trip and usually not leave until Sunday night. <laughs> like wow. that, that's kind of what happened. Like, you know, people would just float it. Like it, 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 it's, it's something I'm sure I did a few times. Um, people just would just, just congregate there after bad trip and then just, and just hang out, just hang out. And, uh, and if they didn't have to work Friday, uh, or if they did have to work, they'd call in sick. And, uh, and everybody would just kind of float in and out and hang out until Sunday night, go back to work Monday and then do the whole thing over again. And that was kind of, that was kind of the, the scene of the Paisley. Um, Jesse, Jesse, um, through, through my connection with him, when I started planning next voto, uh, I, um, I brought him around the house, the banger house a few times, and uh, he came to some X-Photo shows. He was a big fan of X-Photo. Uh, and he got to be pretty tight with Larry, too. And Larry loved him because he was, uh, unlike unlike the rest of us, he was a little bit closer to Larry's age. And I think they had a little more shared history than the rest of us did with, with Larry. Um, so Larry really liked him. Uh, in 1990, Jesse... Um, uh, decided, I, I can't even remember what, 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 uh, what, uh, why he made, why he decided to do this, but, uh, he decided to move to Berlin. His mom, uh, his mom was German and I think he's got, he had a bunch of family there. I know. Um, and, uh, I, I think maybe he was just maybe through some combination, just being burnt out with, with life at the Paisley. And uh, just feeling like he was at a point where he needed uh, a change of scenery, he decided to move. So that the like the weekend before he 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 flew out, he came and stayed at the Banger House, and um, we we had like a, this marathon weekend long creep session with him, and we recorded a whole bunch of stuff. We recorded a whole bunch of stuff that Saturday. Recorded a whole bunch of stuff that Sunday. Um, somewhere in there, Larry, Larry out of the blue goes, Hey, why don't we flip the script on the bass and the guitar? And, and I think I was, I had a guitar on at the time and, and, uh, Larry just goes, why don't you try to do something like that? You think a bass would do on this song? Like we started noodling on something and he goes, How's about we just like flip the responsibilities and, and you play something on guitar like that would be something like you would play on bass. And then and then I think Jesse, I think Jesse might have been playing bass, possibly on this. It was either Jesse or Larry. Um, or maybe Jesse's, I can't remember. A lot of this is gonna be fuzzy. Um, but I, I remember him going, why don't bass player, why don't you play something like uh, and just play it the way you would play on guitar. And then you D go play something on guitar the, that, that sounds like a bass line, but play it on guitar. And that was the first recording of spiritual lies. So spiritual lies was kind of, was kind of ground zero for, for the whole idea. Um, and, uh, it came out really good and we liked it. Um, this we, is for a uh, bunk, the first bunk song. Yeah. Okay. Um, so we did that and we all liked it. And, uh, of all the things we recorded that day uh, over that weekend, that was like the thing that, that Larry and I kept picking back up and going, wow, Jesus, this is, this is I, I feel like we're onto something here. This is really neat. This is like one of those experiments that, that just worked out really well. Um, and, and we, you know, we played it and played it and played it. And then, uh, at some point, Larry, got, we were, ha- we were at a, having an expert Exverter, exvoto rehearsal one day, and then Larry just blurted out like from out of nowhere. He goes, he goes, 
I want to fucking start a band where I just sing through a distortion pedal and I, and I sing in that voice that I sang in, in that in <laughs> recording. Yeah. And, he, and he go, and then he goes, and he goes, I just want it to be fucking bass and drums and that's it. And I want to fucking call the band bunk. And I was like, Oh, that's be fucking awesome. Now the, the name bunk, the name bunk, you should know actually uh, the name bunk, uh, I, I don't know if Larry even knows this, but but I'm pretty sure it's true. Uh, Jesse Jesse had had his own like vernacular. He had his own descriptions for things. Like he would just he would describe things in in, in weird oblique ways. Um, uh, it's he would refer to something somebody somebody or someone being being mellow or relaxed or comfortable in their skin as calm, like that dude's calm. <laughs> I so I was like, "What is that comb?" I ended up, and I ended up using that name for my ambient stuff. So mm. the ambient stuff I do, I call the comb series, which is was inspired by that's Jesse vernacular for mellow, laid back. But the other mm. thing, the other thing, the other word he would use all the time was bunk. Like, dude, that's so bunk. That's so bunk. Like everything was bunk. Everything that was like fucked up or wrong in some way, he would refer to as bunk. And um, I, no doubt he was probably just, you know, he was talking that way during, during those creep sessions or, you know, just hanging out with us. And, uh, and, and then Larry blurts out to sing. I want to, I want to call a band fucking bunk. And I just want it to be a singer, a bass player and drums. It's like, fuck. Yeah. I mean, at, at that point for me, I was, I was ready to do something like that. I, I was, I think, I think he was too. We were both feeling, feeling a little um, burnt out on the X photo thing. Just something that happens, you know. You play with somebody long enough, and you 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 come up with a platform and an idea, and you just keep you you keep hammering on that platform and that that idea. Eventually, you're going to get get a little burnt out on. You just have to try something new to you know just to have a fresh perspective on the th- the main thing you do. You know, I guess I I do that a lot. Too. I still do that. I that was something. That was probably something I learned from Larry. Um, and we were both ready. We were just fucking ready to do something that wildly different from X photo. So, um, he, it's so, so he said that I was like, Oh, I'm in, I'm in, I'm, I'm fucking in. And, um, I started, we started thinking about, um, uh, like a demo, like putting a demo together, you know, it just gets back to the thing I was talking about in the last episode, when you're not sure what you're going to do next, make a demo and then share it with people. So we started talking about it, but we, we only had that one song at that point, I think. So uh, after work, I was coming home and I started playing around with beats and stuff um, and playing around with different ideas that, that, that I felt like were kind of along the same lines. And I would, I would do, I would crap out like, you know, a minute worth of something. And then Larry would come on and go, what do you think of this? You go, Oh, that's great. And then he would come up with, with words. And then eventually we had uh after doing that for a few weeks, we had, you know, seven or eight songs and um, somewhere in there, one of us asked you if you would be down to play bass on this thing. I think, I think that's how it went. Um, and Larry uh, went to Danny Kearney, our friend, Danny Kearney, who had a studio in Garden Grove, borrowed his Atari eight track and dragged it over to the house, <laughs> wired everything up. He would, which we, he would, which was not uncommon for him to do at the time. He would go, you know, if he ever, we'd, he did this with, with a few X photo demos as well. He would, he would go to Danny and say, Hey, can I borrow your Atari for the weekend or for a week? And Danny would be, be yeah, cool. I don't have any work to do right now. Danny played in a top 40 band. So it was, he would often be off in some week long engagement at a ski lodge or something like that. And, and, and so whenever that happened, Larry would say, Hey, can I borrow your, your Atari now? For those of you who, who have never seen an Atari half-inch A-track, it's it's like the size of a small refrigerator, right? It's it's a proper multi-track recorder on wheels, um, and it's it's not an easy thing to lug around. It's not like you know pulling a portable four-track um, out of out of out of a out of a console and throwing it on your on your back seat. It was it was a non-trivial thing to move around. So he borrowed, but he borrowed it. He was always always had access to it. He borrowed it, and then uh, we recorded a bunch of a bunch of bunk stuff. 
over um over like a I think it was like a period of like a week or something like that, Michael. Your memory is better than mine on this. I'm I'm you know I don't I vaguely remember Jesse. I remember Larry, obviously. Oh, that's Jesse. You might have been a few times. Yeah, it's maybe it was spotty. That was that was you know some crazy times, as they say. It's very crazy times. So I'm going to defer to your memory on this. So so Larry. So in addition to the the the, the crazy um, bass through the excuse me the bass through the rap pedal idea with just the drums, Larry had this, this other he this other this other he uh, this other. Uh, parameter constraint for lack of a better term was uh, he decided that he would, there would always be a synth that would drone out in the root note of the key of the song. So, and it was always fun when the, the few times we played it live, uh, we did this live because he, he, he would bring his Juno 60 and uh, he would just hold down a chord and then, and then just uh, hold, you know, click the latch button and just let it go. And then that, that would just be underneath the song and that, you know, that was all like his kind of brainchild. And like it, that part of it is, is just, is crazy. I mean, it's like, what, you know, it's, it's one of those things like, how did he think to do that? You know, it, and, and the way, the way he, I think the way he framed it or the way that I guess I kind of framed it is, it was almost like he wanted, he wanted it to be like, like this ambient music thing. Like if you peeled away the drums and the bass and, 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 and you listen to what was underneath, it would just be like Brian Eno music for airports, you know, like Through the a rat pedal. Yeah. Like he just <laughs> he liked it. It, it, it was one of those things where like he had the idea to do that and it just made perfect sense when you heard it all together. Um, but it was this crazy juxtaposition of like these, this heavy, these heavy, heavy drums and heavy bass and then, and then just like some kind of drone string thing underneath. And, 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 and then that became kind of the thing, like with each song, uh, whenever we wrote a new one, we'd, we'd write the bait, we'd work out the, the, the drums and bass arrangements and then go, okay, what are we going to drone out on underneath them? Like we would just pick a patch on the Juno and then, and, and just try to find one that, that worked without, uh, sounding too dissonant or, or messed up. And it just worked. It just all kind of worked, you know? Um, but it, it was great. Uh, so I, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to stop here and play a few things. So I, I just, I wanted to, I'm going to, we're going to put some links in the, um, in the episode here that, uh, there are some recordings of this stuff that, that Michael and I and Larry did on SoundCloud. Uh, and this is the re-recording of the song that became ground zero. It's called spiritual lies. Now the other thing, the other thing about these songs is that's that's a sample from a Ken Russell movie. Is that we started, we landed on this idea of of having these samples of segs, and that became a trope that, that we ended up using the piano call. And that's that's the that was the react what you just did. Yeah, that was ridiculous. Now I'm remembering now. The, the best thing about it was like Todd and I were like as soon as he as soon as Larry blurted out that idea, our friend Todd Bernard and I were so into it. And we and and the and the best thing about it was the entire time we were recording, we were just bursting into laughter every time we listened to what we did because it was so fucking over the top. It was just just it was so awesome and so funny in a way that you listen to just go that that's just so fucked up that it's, it's funny it's comical it's 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 funny but it's not you know 
um, so the, the, it, it was, it, all of this ended up being a, a big turning point. Well, I, I, should, I don't want to jump ahead too far. So we recorded this stuff and then we ended up playing, playing live a few times. And, and, and that's, I, I played drums on all this stuff. And then, and I, I played drums, uh, as part of the live thing. I ended up, um, I think right before all of that happened, we were trying to get, uh, this girl that played drums in a band that Dave Ryan was in, we were trying to get her to play drums for us. He, uh, X-Photo had a drum machine for a long time and, and we wanted to try to incorporate drums, uh, live drums in our thing. And there was a drummer that we liked that was, that had been playing in a band for, with Dave Ryan. She quit and we asked her if she would play with us. Uh, and, and Larry and I had this idea that, that, she, that we'd have her, play an electronic kit along with the drum machine and, and like maybe trigger stuff on the drums. Well, that didn't work out. She were, she rehearsed for us with us for a month or so we had a show and then she flaked and that was that, but we still had the drum kit. So I started using the drum kit for the bunk stuff and building up samples, and, um, building up like kits to use for, for bunk. And I, and I, then I started playing, playing that kit live. Um, we had all that in place. And, uh, and then we got to thinking we could probably do this live. And there was a show that X photo got asked to do in the Inland empire. And I'm sure if, if Chris or Jason were around, they would know the place. I cannot for the life of me, remember the place. Linda had to go, had to go out of town. I think she had to go back home to, to see family or she was going on a trip. Uh, so she couldn't do it. And, uh, and, and either Larry or I were, were like, well, bunk could play. And she goes, oh, okay. I think she was talking to the promoter and then she, she called the promoter back and said, said, Hey, X photo can't do it. But Larry and D are doing this thing with their friend, Michael Haley called bunk and they're totally down to, to play. And, and they were like, uh, okay. <clears throat> and that was our first show. <clears throat> yeah. I don't, I don't remember that. I remember one show we played at uh oh what's that that german uh Hofbau place um village is something village man i wish i'd have remembered this place they they do like every october they have Oktoberfest there and it's this giant you know thing down there Lawrence, like is that like alpine village do we yeah i think it was alpine village and i i remember going like that. what are we doing here and it was a really, maybe there was like 10 people there. I don't, don't remember that. Yeah. Crazy times. That's I think cool. we're, I think we're about halfway through too. So. Oh yeah. Um, so we, uh, we did that. We played Al's bar and, um, the, 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 a couple of things happened for, for me with that. Um, that were important. One of which was, uh, uh, so Larry had Larry bought an Atari 1040 ST computer and mm. he started and he did this about a year before the bunk thing happened. And he was slowly, um, trying, he was slowly working out like new material and, and migrating, um, old Expoto material from the sequencer. We were using like an Alesis MM, MMT eight hardware sequencer for, for stuff that we sequenced. And he was slowly moving things into that and like writing new stuff in the Atari. Um, I never, I was not a computer guy at the time. I never, I, I didn't have a, I didn't own a personal computer. I, I never really touched one. Uh, the, 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 the sum total of my exposure to computers was um, the, the, the terminal, the mainframe terminals that I would sit at. Uh, I was working in the garment industry at the time and my job was sitting in front of a mainframe terminal and doing data entry stuff and, and, and just doing basic stuff. But it, it was not nothing like working a, a, with a personal computer. When we, when we started working on the, on the bunk stuff, um, it became apparent that it was going to be easier to, to, to do the sequencing stuff that needed to be done in the Atari, instead of doing the thing I would normally do, which is just programming in the, in, on the core drum machine and the MMT eight. So, uh, Larry kind of sat me down one day and goes, okay, there's, there's file save. 
Here's how you load a, like literally, like here's how you load a floppy. Here's how you turn it <laughs> um, This He's is like, here, here's you know, your future, D. <laughs> exactly. That's, that's the thing that that's why I was telling you, Michael, that like that, that it was a turning point for me on a number of fronts. It was the first time I sat in front of a personal computer, which led to what I'm doing now. That was, that was kind of the turning point. So between Jesse and Larry, and this is a uh, Larry Rainwater, who was a local legend for us. And he definitely changed my life as well. We may have to do a Larry tribute show as well, but he's still alive. He's still so. alive. Maybe we'll interview him. Right. So, um, yeah. So on that, um, I, I guess it's a, it's a good time to, to bring up the fact, too, is that uh, Jesse, the, the guy who inspired the name in the first track, uh, tragically passed away about a month, a month or two ago. Um, it was it was a big shock for me because I, I continued to, to remain really close to him after he moved to Berlin and, and would go back. Um, and we would often like coordinate trips back to, to Orange County at the same time. Um, I actually mm -hmm. stayed at his house um, during one trip a couple of years ago. Um, and, you know, we remained really tight and I actually talked to him, shoot, man, not, not more than a month before he passed and he was not doing well then. And it was a real bummer. And, uh, uh, it was, it was, it was really hard. It was a hard thing to take, um, because of the way he went. I still think about him. I miss him something awful. Mm. I'm sorry to hear um, that, Mr. D. In fact, the album that I'm working on now, uh, the title is, is the title and, and, and a lot of the material is kind of a tribute to him. It was just, it's a, a lot of it was inspired by things him and I would talk about. Um, yeah, it's a bummer. So, um, where were we? Oh, we were talking about shows. Oh yeah. And, and then, so, um, uh, Larry showed me how to use the Atari and then and the, one day and I'll never forget it. He goes, okay, I'm going to go out and mow the lawn. Uh, if you need, if you have any questions, let me know, but, uh, get cracking. And, <laughs> and, uh, I started, uh, and, and I set about, uh, doing all of the, the, the drum and, uh, synth sequencing on Steinberg pro tracks 20 whatever the precursor was to cubase it was like pro 24 because it was like 24 24 tracks of midi um and i and i did the i worked out all the sequence uh uh sequence part stuff uh for the demos in the atari and that was like my first exposure to, for, to uh a personal computer i ended up getting one myself later to work on my stuff um I still had it when we were working on uh, doing the penal colony stuff. You can see it, see it in the, in the picture and that, uh, that demos album cover, my Atari's in there. Um, and then, uh, it, that happened. And then the other, the other thing that was important for, uh, with that thing for, uh, for me was, um, it in no small part ended up being, uh, uh some of it, a bit of a cachet that I had in my back pocket when I started talking to, the Texas Vamp guys about starting Penal Colony. I was not a singer. I just wanted. I just knew I wanted to front a band, and um, mm -hmm. I, I, I kind of used uh, recording demos as a way to demonstrate that I could front a band. But uh, I knew it was going to be an uphill battle, and I just kind of lucked out in that these guys already knew me. And but the more yeah. important thing about knowing me was they were among the. 15 or 20 people that actually saw bunk live. <laughs> yeah. They loved bunk. Like those guys fucking loved bunk. Um, uh, I, I went to, to watch them play after, um, Nikki told me that they, they needed somebody. Uh, and, uh, one of the first conversations we had was, was about bunk and how much they love bunk. And when we were talking about using this as a means to, Using using uh, me joining uh, joining up with them as a means to to make a left turn in terms of creative direction, the thing we kept coming back around to was was bunk as a starting point. So you tricked them. No, oh, I don't know about that. <laughs> but if you if you listen, you know, you listen no, to no, no. Any of the, you listen to the first album, any of the stuff you listen to the demos album, it's it's Chris playing through a rat pedal. It's Chris making like Michael Haley. 
That's funny. Oh. Well, you did that thing that's like David Lee Roth, how he got into Van Halen was I think they had another singer before him and he showed up and he and he had a, a bunch of money and he he showed up with a PA. He says, I have a PA and we can play through we can do live shows on our own. Yeah. And uh, yeah, man, you know, he did his whole thing and then they went, all right, we'll give you a shot. And then, you know, now. Bunk Van Halen Bunk did not turn into Van Halen. Let's just be clear. We no. didn't make any records. No, nope. we made 15 friends. I don't know how. Yes, I barely remember what happened except for that that show at the Alpine Village or whatever it was called down there. For that, we got to play Al's Bar. That that was that was my like the two the two big highlights for me. Uh, just just playing around town um, from like from like the early '80s all the way up until I moved were playing at Al's Bar with Bunk to probably 20 people. And uh, when, when I got into penal colony, we got to play the Hong Kong cafe, which was huge for me. And, and again, it was, there was no one there, but I was so fucking excited about playing the Hong Kong cafe. Yeah. So we're just, you know, two old guys reminiscing about our past, the bunk pass. I, I, I forgot that we had done Alice bar. I have vague recollections of that. That's where I met my first wife. That's also where I saw, yeah, she was a bar, she was a bartender there. Shut up. Yeah, itty bitty world we're living in. Wow. And it was it was a nightmare down there. It was great because you'd like you show up and there was just you know homeless folk you know kind of milling about there and they'd break into your car and oh steal it was it. crazy there at that time. It was not. It was just like yeah. you did not want to go down there. But you know I saw bands like like Nirvana played there. Did. You know, I saw Cake there. I saw all sorts of amazing bands. And, uh, you know, and all my local friends' bands and Extra Fancy played there a number of times. When I was, I played bass and Blood on the Saddle for about a year and we played there. And uh, I just love that place. I was, that was kind of like my, my, one of my go tos. I'd show up and. Me too. Everyone was, you know, pretty drunk and surly. And I love that place. And it was great. It was like someone threw a hand grenade in there, it exploded, and they opened the doors and said, okay, come on in, we're ready to go. There's a really great documentary about it, on um, about Al's Bar, uh, that, that I found on Amazon Prime. I'll, I'll, I'll find a link to it, and, and I'll put it in the episode. It's great. Yeah, I'd heard about it. I hadn't actually seen it yet. But. Oh, it's good, Michael. You should watch it. It's great. It's really good. Yeah, but it was a big deal to me to get to play there. You know, that's like, it's a piece of history, that place. And it already was by the time we, we played there. You know, I was yeah. like so excited to play there. And so this all. So did Jesse, what did he think of Bunk? He loved it. Oh, he loved it. He loved that, that we called the band Bunk. <laughs> he was more excited. You know, he was in Germany by the time we did that. He was gone. He was long gone. But, you know, I was still talking to him. Yeah. And I told him what we did. He was so excited. He, you know, he was, it's, it's so weird because, because, you know, I really looked up to him because he was like, again, he was one of the OG, OG. Uh, he was part of that, that early, early um, Huntington Beach crew, you know, like, like he told stories about that, you know, that predated me by a couple of years and stuff like stuff that went on um, before I started playing in the uninvited and got, got involved in the scene and stuff. And so he, I, I really looked up to him, but like, he was funny. Like he was just such a huge fan of, of Larry and like shit that I did. He, uh, about, I don't know, five or six years ago, I was, I was talking to him on, on, on video chat and he pulled a tape out of his, out of his back. He was like, Hey, listen to this. Remember this? Remember this? And he, and he had like, he had tapes of stuff that I'd done that I don't even have anymore. So he's still, he's, I guarantee you all the way up until he passed, he had, he had the tape that we recorded that day the tape he took home. Like he kept that shit and he listened to it all the time. And he was so fucking excited about bunk. So excited. I think that's the thing, you know, like what I'm getting from you talking about all this or us talking about all this is just how these little things we just do on our day to day, you know, in the, in the treasury of music and the delight of it, you know, the little sort of victories 
and those things that may not mean anything to anyone else, people are going to be like, bunk who, you know, like, what are you guys talking about? Right. And, um, but you know, it, it spawned you into a whole new world. I mean, I didn't, I hadn't, I didn't touch a computer until the nineties, I think. Uh-huh. And, and it was, and they were, it was infuriating. I was just trying to deal with email and I was so mad at this computer. <laughs> And I'm like, this is bullshit, you know, and I didn't touch it for a month. And then I got my first little Cubase system. You know, a buddy of mine said, I, I'm like, I, I, ha- I got a chunk of money and I was going to like buy some, uh, you know, analog audio gear. And my buddy said, can I make a recommendation? My friend Anu, who we're going to have on this show. Oh, great. And he said, uh, you know, I have a suggestion. You know, I think, and here's why. He's, he's a super brilliant guy. And he got me kind of plugged into, you know, getting a, a PC and Cubase. And um, this was, you know, I know professionals were starting to meddle with with the computer audio and whatnot. And uh, and I was like, okay, you know, and he said, I've, I've never regretted buying this kind of gear for me. And he said, I think it's going to change your world. And he was right. You know, he was one of those guys for me, he continues to like, he'll plant a seed that I didn't, I didn't even ask for. Like there's, he'll be like, boop, there's a little seed for you to check out. And then it starts to germinate. And the next thing I know, I'm like, oh my God, I'm, you know, all those computer skills, you know, really turned into a, a whole different world for me and a whole different perspective on music mm-hmm. and, and people and how we can communicate. I mean, the today, I mean, really you can publish anything you want, you know, like we're just, we're putting this, uh, these podcasts up and I'm still, it blows my mind how simple it is to do it for better or for worse, whether you like this show or not, you know, like you yeah. can put stuff up and you can connect with, you know, what a, a hundred people have downloaded this crazy podcast that we're doing. And I'm, I'm like a hundred people. I'm like, I don't even, I'm not even sure I know a hundred people. Right. You know? I know that. Like, I know I got excited about it too. I, I mean, when it, when it reached 50, I was like, well, shit, we're already beyond the halo of, of our, <laughs> you know, we're like we're famous. I, I know. I got excited about us. Oh, sure. So I don't know 50. I don't know 50 people, but it's delightful. I mean, that's, a, and that's the thing I think about what delighted people about bunk and your buddy, Jesse, who really, you know, just these little seeds of like these characters that were around, like I, that I ended up in orange County hanging out with you guys because of some girl I was dating right, was, was like, that was never supposed to happen. And how I met her and, and that was, I was in the Inland Empire. It was just all this stuff. And I think back and I'm like, how is that ever going to happen? That was not supposed to happen. And yet here we are talking into a, a little light box in front of us. And I think about know, shit all the time. And I, you know, and like that, and then God love you, Michael Haley. I, I think, I think you and I, you know, we, we stayed in touch after that, but you know, we weren't, we weren't talking, I don't know that we were talking all the time, but when the penal colony thing happened, I think I rang you up and was like, Hey, can you help us with this? Yeah. And, and I mean, we couldn't have done any of that stuff without you. Like all of that happened, you know, but, but like getting back to the, the thing you were talking about, about this podcast, it's like, you talk about stuff like that. I can, I can draw a straight line from what we're doing now back to Larry, making me sit down in front of that Atari to program beats, you know? Yeah. Like I just, sure. I, I just know it, it all kind of started with that. And I was terrified doing it at the time. Like I was afraid I was going to break his computer or do something. Or something <laughs> weird, you know, yeah. he's but, one of those, he's one of those journeymen, you know, who's just, I mean, he taught me so much too. I mean, he helped me build like a rack, and he's like, oh, yeah, let's go make a rack out in the garage. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, a, you know, to put rack mount gear in. He's like, ah, let's, you know, take us two or three hours. We've got to let it sit and we'll go get some lunch at whatever that Mexican place was that was down there that I fell in love with. And across Harbor. Yeah. we come back and like, and then I'm like, and then the next thing I know, you know, we spray painted it and then I'm like wheeling it home, you know, in an afternoon. And he's just one of those guys who can pick up stuff and like, and he did that with the audio and the, the music and certainly hanging out in that world. And I'm like, I wasn't into goth music and you guys are down there creeping out down in Orange County. I'm like, you guys are really weird, but I like you, you know, and all these characters and Todd and the bunk logo, which I love so much. Those like log 
logo. And then, oh, right. I forgot about that. That was great. Yeah. So it's just, it's so funny. And like, I don't know, this is weird little two guys having a little nostalgia fit here, but like, you know, it totally changed our lives. These little things. And, yeah, it, and it's, it's, I, I think it's okay to talk about this because, because oh, I, think it's I wouldn't want to talk, talk, talk about it because, because of, of the impact it had. And, yeah. and I, I think bringing it back around to this podcast, it's, it's a teaching moment in a way um, that, that experience completely um, turned me upside down in, in, in ter- it purely like in terms of how I thought about music up to that point, like yeah. what music could be um, with, without even what, I mean, when it was completely accidental, it was totally accidental the way it started out. And then, and then we just kind of refined it. And, uh, but it was, it was so thrilling for me because the ideas they were, it was just this collection of ideas that on paper just made no sense. It just didn't make any sense. It should not have worked. No. Well, it's one of the, it's the audacity we talked about before of like even picking up an instrument, thinking you're going to do anything that's going to make any difference anywhere in the world to anyone. And that's one of the first obstacles is like, there's this urge to make stuff making, you know, and it could be ridiculous stuff. So I, I heard some, this heavy, heavy metal band the other day, and it was so ridiculous and so over the top. And I just loved it. I was just like, how did they think of this? They have their costumes on, you know, like, and I'm just like, you know, the, uh, the corpse paint makeup. And I'm like, what, like, where did you get the, but it's like, there's this, all these threads and people that they met and like the culture that they're born into and the things that they heard, like little seeds of things that kind of patched together. And then there you are, you're sitting in Portland. I'm sitting in Studio City. Yeah. You know, making music and making, you know, code and doing all sorts of technical stuff that like, I couldn't have even fathomed. I had no interest in that stuff. I thought, what is this, you know? Same. But once you step over the threshold, like you did on the Atari computer, where you're like, Oh, it's like learning, you know, it's exactly yeah, it makes sense. Like uh, just within that day, like I, I, I got through a couple songs and it just all yeah. the click, you know, I just started, my brain started working with my hands the same way they did. Uh, when I ste- stood in front of the drum machine and, and the sequencer, like it just all started to click and, and it, and it just became really fluid. And once I got past that hump, like every, nothing seemed impossible. Yeah. That perseverance. And it was, it was. And the thing was, you know, like get, getting uh, getting back to what you were saying about what you're doing now, what I'm doing now, it it all just started as it it, it was it was I'm sure it was the same with you. It was not a conscious thing. We just we had some people in in our in our lives, thankfully, that kind of propped us up and showed us what was possible. And I wasn't even thinking about learning how to use a computer. I didn't care about learning how to use a computer. I just wanted to get, I just wanted to get these songs done. Yeah. I mean, and I just saw this as the best tool to use it. I didn't even like, and, and, it, and it, it didn't even consciously occur to me at the time uh, that I'm learning how to use a personal computer. I didn't care. I just knew it was the best. It was the best tool in the room for what we're, we were trying to do. Yeah. And then, and then that turned into something else. And then that turned into something else that became what I'm doing now. And it's like, it was, that the the tools was was not the was not the conscious move. It was just the means to the end, which to this day is kind of the same way with me with writing code. It's just you know they're just tools, just just the means to the end. That's it. Well, it's kind of, it's kind of like anything too. I mean, you know, it's like Larry handed you handed you like a little flint rock and a some pieces of wood and goes like, okay, go make a song. And you're like, okay. And he said, just do this, this, and this, and I'll be back after I mow the lawn. <laughs> Yeah. It's like, yeah. What? I mean, it's like that with anything. I mean, with money, like money is a language, you know, food, music, any of that stuff. It's like, you just need a few people to sort of give us direction and show us, you know, and keep on uh, correcting course as we go, much meditation. like meditation, Michael. Yeah. And the meditation oh, helps. I mean, if- and I, I have these bad, I have these talks, talks, thoughts all the time, Michael. What do I do with them? I'm like, yeah, wrap your arms around him. Say, hey, give him some taters, invite him in. And then, uh, you know, start to wonder why they're there, you know, you don't, and trying to not believe them, but just go, wow, that's, that's a terrible, terrible thought. 
yeah. and, no and noticing that it's not yours, but also getting, you know, just the kind of life and death of all of this, you know, that Jesse's gone from the planet, you know, it's just like, I love, I was just thinking about this this week, thinking about this episode, like the people that have influenced me that are gone now, you know, like my first wife, she's, she's passed, she's gone. Yeah. And, uh, really and tough. I think I, th I thought about like this whole insane world that I got into when I met her. Right. And, and, you know, the more more time for that later but you know the people that influence us you know especially jesse and that influenced me and i didn't even know of, i mean maybe i met him once or twice i'm sure he did he probably did and like how that smart. spun us i mean and here we are talking about jesse you know yeah and bunk and the ridiculousness of that band and just where all these like threads come from and these seeds that get planted so and then we get to say, you know, which seeds we're going to pay attention to and water and cultivate. Yeah. And try not to rip them out of the ground to see if they're growing. Okay. <laughs> like, I know, like, I want to jump ahead and go like, is that how are we doing? And it's like, oh, the plant's dead now. You just ripped it out of the ground. It's like, you just kind of let things settle, pay attention to them. But like that connection with people like Jesse, you know, that must have been, I mean, obviously it's enormous because here we are talking about him. Yeah. Yeah, I really miss him. That was that was uh, of of like you. I've had a lot of people. I've lost a lot of people in recent years, and that was the toughest for sure. Yeah, I, 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 I there's uh, as as a follow on. I have I have another thing I, I wanted to wanted to share, Michael, around the bunk thing, and that yeah. is that I is is. Uh, after, so we did this crazy thing in 1990, and then over the years, I began to recognize bands doing the same thing. Mm -hmm. Morphine comes to mind, right? And I, I don't know. I don't know if I think I'm pretty sure we predated morphine. I, morphine might have been morphine when we were doing our thing, but I was not aware of morphine. Um, when we they're were so there. good, but they were great, you know. The great example of a band that was just a bass player and, a, and drums and saxophonist like this weird configuration. But um, I was actually talking to you about this, Michael. And I didn't even know. So um, like you, like I listen to new stuff all the time, just, just to, just to hear what other people are doing, just to, to get ideas and, and just to listen for, for me lately, if I'm in the middle of like working on an album, I, I, I listen, I, I listen to new stuff through the lens of how people are mixing things and mastering things. And, and is there anything about, excuse me, what they're doing that, um, that might trigger something for me. Mm -hmm. There's a band from, from the UK called Royal Blood. They've been around for a while. Um, and I think this last album they did, they, they work with Josh Homme on it. I didn't know any of this. And, and I, it was just, they, there was just a new album by this band called Royal Blood and the out and, and the cover looked interesting. And I started to play it and, and, and the mix the mix uh, of the entire album, just, just the production. Uh, I just love the production of the whole thing. And I think I actually shared it with you at some point um, a few weeks ago. Yeah. I didn't even, I listened to the whole album and I wasn't, and I wasn't even hip to this until I, I watched a few of their videos. They're doing the bunk thing. Mm. I'm going to play you something. I'm just, I'm just going to play you a few seconds of something. Uh, so this is off their new album. So drone at the beginning of the song. That is a bass and drums and that's it. It's, it's basically bump with, with the melodic scene. Synth, guitar, synth, bass, drums. That's it. Synth, and those guys are huge right now. Those guys are big. And it's just too it Maybe we should get the band back together, D. <laughs> I'll call Josh. But, Say, hey, you got any spare time? You got a weekend and an eight track? Maybe we can make a record. Yeah, they're like a big deal. Like, uh, I heard an interview with them on um, Apple Music One. Elton John's a big fan of these guys. 
Mm. Josh Homme loves him. And it's, and it's two guys. It's a bass player who sings and a drummer and that's it. I think keeping it simple is the, the way of things. It seems like a lot of the, especially in the last 10 years, a lot of the bands that I've heard, you know, Black Keys and like people like that, it's just like two guys, yep, two people, I should say, making music, you know, kind of duos and, and, uh, but that, you know, that, the guitar drums thing became, became a, a pretty common thing. The bass and drums thing, not, not quite as common. Yeah, a, like what is that? Uh, that band, Death from Above, nineteen seventy nine. Right. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna I'm gonna give this to I'm gonna um, we'll put this in in the uh, the episode description too. There's there's an entire Reddit link. There's an entire re- link on Reddit where people are calling out bands that are just bass and drums, and that was one of the ones they brought up. Them uh, Royal Blood. There's a Japanese band called Ruins that that actually sounds a little more like bunk. Yeah. Um. But you know they they all seem to have this common thing of 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 not of with the exception of morphine of bass through a distortion pedal, drummer, yeah. and stuff. That's it. Yeah, I think you know these ideas. I mean, getting kind of talking about mindfulness. You know, what I've noticed is like inventors and all the inventions that have come. Oh, we're, and we're a little we're like did another half of the time here. That's okay. There's a. You know, a lot of the inventors in the world, like these similar ideas pop up in the in the world where there's just no connection to them, but it's the similar or exact same idea. And I think these ideas are just floating out about there. Like, I, I don't even think we can take credit for all this stuff, but but just grabbing them before, you know, and, and grounding it into being creative and putting something out there in the world. And it may and these sort of waves of familiar ideas that come out. Um, is always fascinating to me, like how how do people get connected? And it, it's a little harder these days because we're so connected on the internet, you know. And it's so easy for these things to travel through, you know, the the interwebs toward us or on the radio. We're way more connected, but it's just know. interesting that 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 people in these disparate parts of the world, you know, I'm, who certainly probably never, heard, I, you know, I can't take credit for it. I mean. The, the odds of them finding bunk recording on SoundCloud are probably and, and thinking, oh, we should start a that does that is slim enough. But what's interesting is is that how these people in all these these different parts of the world kind of landed on the same idea. Yeah, I love that. You know, this I I think these ideas are floating around the world. You know, they're just conversations that are out there. I mean, you can look at politics or um just politics alone, you know, like these these manifestos and these ideas that are out there, and they'll they'll latch onto one of them and they'll run it into the ground. You know what I mean? They'll t- take it, and then people will get on board and go, "Yeah, we need more of that." Like I just saw uh, the Summer of Soul, that Questlove. I've watched it twice now, two or three. Man, times. that that's another great example of uh, you know a change was afoot, and. Uh, culturally locally nationally internationally you know he really did a fantastic job in showing like these ideas were not unique to harlem you know what i mean and the and the black movement and um it's totally fascinating to me yeah and um and i think that's the same with music too i mean i'm really finding that you know we just look for those little seeds and those little strands and threads that we want to latch onto and then we weave something together for ourselves and and then hone it you know like all the music you've done you know i'm sure like everything you did before sort of informs the next piece and we're trying to you know progress and come up with something like you know okay i'm done with that and i don't know what's next but i have a i have some kind of sense scratching at my brain and then you just kind of you know jump into uh jump into the air and see what's there, you know, grab at something. The bunk thing is, is, was a big moment. It's, it's still something that I refer back to in my mind where like, if I'm about to do something that's, that's really unconventional or, or it seems like a weird idea, it's a lot of it's informed by, by that experience. It's like, well, we did that thing where it was just bass and drums. I mean, that worked, this should work, you know? Um, same, same with all that stuff with John Napier. I mean, he stretched my brain out in working on that stuff. I'm just like, you can't do that. And he would just do it. And I'm like, whoa, okay, maybe you can. I mean, that was his whole life. 
you know, for better, for worse. And uh, yeah, just really applying it to our creativity, I think is uh, for me key because I fall into these ruts. I pick up the guitar and it's the same chords. I pick up a bass. So I have to pick up a different instrument or retune the instrument and go like, oh, wow, my fingers work differently in these spots. I have to really put a different obstacle in my way. Same. That, that's why that's why I wanted uh, Nihilism to be completely a completely electronic record. Yes. Yeah, I, I had literally spent like seven or eight years doing that mimeograph stuff, which was all acoustic guitars and upright bass. Yeah. And uh, hollow body electric. And I, I was just I was ready for, to do something else. Yeah. And I thought just I'll do it. I hadn't done an, uh, an entire album of electronic stuff in a long since Simstem. Just wanted to do it. Um, I think we're at a good point to do uh, the oblique strategies card. Yeah. Our oblique strategies card for today, Michael Haley, is accretion. Accretion? Accretion. I just met you. One. (laughs) (laughs) Accretion. Wow. Okay. That's it. I wanted to show it to you just so you could see it was one word. So the definition, the Merriam-Webster definition of accretion is the process of growth or increase typically by the gradual accumulation of additional layers or matter. It's perfect. So what do you think? What does that mean to you? I think that's exactly what we've been talking about. That's spooky. The Is it? I guess it is. Yeah, just like you know, about it that way. It, I always frame it in, in. I always frame it and frame these things in my head in, in in the micro instead of the macro. You think about things more about these things more in the macro, and you're right. That is freaky. That's freaky. Yeah, I mean, every everything you know affects everything else, and it led up to this very point right now. And that was a random card that I pulled that card at random just out of the deck yesterday. Is it really random though? No. <laughs> <laughs> crazy that'll be a whole other episode randomness randomness or so we think yeah yeah there's a there's a strange on that note there's just a a strange way that things order themselves you know when I, if i'm looking and i'm i'm i try not to add to it you know or to i don't know if i'm making it up but when I notice how things have all led to a certain point and it couldn't have happened any other way, all the times that all the failures that I had, you know, led to the, some of the best things in my life, all the things that fell apart, you know, all that sort of, and if I'm paying attention and if I'm slowing down and just going like, you know, what was all that for? You get to say what it's for. You can look and see. Um, yeah, it's any, it, I don't know. It adds a, a whole new layer to my life of, gratitude, you know, and just being, you know, grateful for what comes up for better or for worse. Cause I know life can be a bloodbath as well as a complete joy, you know, but, uh, we seem to all be in it and trying to, to hammer it all out. So Stephen Colbert, um, his, he, I think he had a sibling, like his sister passed away or his parents and he took it really, really hard. And he, w- I, I watched an interview with him where he got asked about it and um, was asked if he considered it a tragedy. And he, and he said something interesting that stuck with me ever since he said it, he said, no, I consider it a gift. It's all a gift because, you know, the fact that we actually get to be here as, as living, breathing homo sapiens um, is a gift. It's a a miracle. It's a miracle. It's a miracle. And we both had, you know, both, uh, both of us have been through some bad stuff. Um, and we've had, we've had deaths of people close to us and it's, it's tragic. All those things are tragic, but in, in a way they, they were, after he said that, I got to thinking, well, yeah, like some of the things that happened to me in a way are a gift because they, they couldn't have happened any other way. I wouldn't be where I am had those things not happened. And I, and I, and I, I can quantify why and how, you know, losing Jesse was very tragic, but, um, it's, it's still a gift because, uh, he lives on in my memory and all the things that he did, all the things that, that we talked about. And, um, 
the things he did that helped foster my creativity. And I'm, I'm much of the, the album I'm working on now was inspired by conversations I had with him. So mm. I have that gift out the, uh, on the other side of it. It's a gift. It's all a gift. Well, on that note, here's to Jesse. Here's to Jesse. I raise it, a glass and a mug to you. Click. Here's to you, D. Here's to you, Michael. Thanks for doing this with me. I hope you, uh, you cuckoos out there are getting something out of this. I'm having a good time. Go make stuff. Everybody go make stuff. Go make stuff. And listen to your thoughts. <laughs> and do your some thoughts. Do something, as my old boss used to say. Do something. Like, like Linda used to say, move the pencil from the left of the desk to the right of the desk. <laughs> do something. Anything. Something. All right, amigo. All right, brother. Thank you again. Till next week. Adios.